Good morning. So we are just in our second week of Ephesians 4, and this is kind of the weird time of year in the sense that uh, we have this tradition of preaching through the Psalms in the summers. We call them uh, summer Psalms. Things are just a little different around here around that time. Uh, so next week we're going to be starting with Psalm 73, uh, and that will go through uh, halfway through August, and then we'll pick back up in Ephesians and, and finish uh, this letter that Paul has been writing to the Ephesians that we've been working through. So uh, today, though, we're going to finish this last portion of Ephesians before we go to Summer Psalms and Ephesians 4. Uh, we have a great passage, uh, chapter 4, verse 4. Uh, and so far, what we've been seeing here is, is just to make sure we understand the context here, is that uh, the church in Ephesus has brought together Gentile and Jewish Christians into the unified body of, of Christ. And so last week, uh, we learned that in order to live in a manner that is worthy of our calling, we are to maintain the unity, maintain the unity that Christ himself has secured for us um, and, and, and that we have received by, by the Spirit. So uh, then in our text today, Paul is explaining the basis for our, our unity. And it's not quite what you might expect, but he's explaining this basis. It's almost like uh, like Paul says, you know, maintain the unity, and, and our response to that is something like, okay, but, but why? You know, what's the reason for that? And, and so today we're going we're gonna to see that a little bit, and uh, so follow along. It's a short, short little, just three verses, starting in verse 4, uh, Ephesians 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to, to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. The grass withers, the flower fades. <clears throat> Let us pray. God of mercy, you promise never to break your covenant with us. Amid all the changing words of our generation, make us to know and to love and to live by your eternal word that does not change. Lord, grant that we may respond to your gracious promises with faithful and obedient lives as we find rest in all that you do for us in the gospel. We ask this in the name of our, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. <clears throat> so in these three short verses, I, I imagine you saw real quick, the, the word one there is repeated seven times. Uh, in each case, it's describing... Uh, the unity that is true for everyone who trusts in the Lord Jesus Christ uh, as their Savior. And keep in mind, though, that, that the larger context of this passage, sometimes when we break it up in these little sections, we lose this, but the larger context here is he is encouraging unity for the church in Ephesus. Um, and that's, that's the larger context. It's a, a church, though, and I know we keep saying this, but it's made up of Jews and Gentiles, and sometimes we lose sight of the fact that Jews and Gentiles are two very different people groups. They have very different ethnic backgrounds, very different histories, very different cultures. They have very different foods, political views, and, 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 and so on. And, and yet here they are coming together, unified around one thing, that being the gospel. And as we work through this, I, I want you to notice then, even right here from the start, just this beautiful picture of, of, of uh, Trinitarianism. The Trinity is so in view in this passage here. We, we see the Father, we see the Son, and we see the Holy Spirit all involved in this amazing picture of the unity uh, of God and the, and the faith we believe. 
And so then as we work through this, we need to, to keep in mind that in each statement, Paul is answering this idea of, of why we who are united to Christ, why we who uh, are, are, are brought together by our common grace, our common faith in Jesus Christ should be united to each other, even as we walk through life together. And this is the word to people that are so very different, something I think we can understand even today. Uh, so we're going to take them one by one. The first one we see here is uh, there is one body and one spirit. And you might, you might sort of wonder at times, what kind of unity do we have together? And, and Paul's answer to that is that our, our unity is so close. It is so indivisible. It is so absolutely knit together that we're compared to a single living body. That's a weird idea. You look around, you see so many different people just in this congregation here with so many different interests and such, and yet we're being called one living body. And do you notice here that, that what he's saying here is <clears throat> he isn't saying we can become one body, you know, if, if we work at it, if we get on the same page, if we try real hard, if we love each other well. He's not saying you can become one body. God is, is telling us here in this passage that we are, in fact, right now in this moment, because of our unity with Christ, one single body. And just like your, your hand doesn't become your body just because it works well with your, your eyes, right? It's certainly better when, when, when the whole body, for the whole body rather, when your hands and your eyes work together, someone tosses things to you, you're going to get hit in the head a lot less when they work well together. You know, but even if they don't work together, it's still one unified single body simply because they are part of the same body. Uh, Paul writes about this a little more in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, uh, verse 12. I'll read a little bit here, just try to follow along. He's talking about the body and he says, For just as the body is one... It has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, <clears throat> where, would the sense, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in one body, each one of them, as he chose. And all, if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts and yet one body. And he goes on to explain this a little further. Uh, in verse 24, he picks up and he says, But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to... <clears throat> to the part that, that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And so we are one body, that is an absolute fact, but the way that we treat each other as one body is, is very similar to the way that our actual physical bodies treat other parts of the body. You know, if your hands were to, in anger, try to gouge out your eyes, that wouldn't just be bad for the eyes, it'd be bad for the entire body from that point forward. Um, that's what fighting amongst Christians is like. When we seek to destroy each other, to harm each other, that is about as foolish as watching you try to gouge your own eyes out. The opposite's also true, you know, when we nourish each part of the body, it's good for the entire body, which is why, you know, when we come together, when we partake in the means of grace, even as, as individuals here, 
You know, that is uh, partaking in, in prayer together, or the reading of the word, or sitting under the preaching of the word, or partaking in the Lord's Supper together. It, it is good for us individually. It's nourishing for us individually, but it's also wonderful, wonderful for us as a collective body to get together and do these things. See, when you come alongside a, a fellow Christian, in fact, if they're suffering, you know, come alongside in their suffering or, or in their anxiety or in their doubts and you encourage them, it's, it's not just good for the individual, it's good for the whole church, for the whole body. Um, you know, in a sense, when you reach out to someone in that way, that's you loving the part of, you know, your entire body in that sense. Uh, it's also true in regards to the way we serve within the body. Paul uses this, this picture often in, in Romans 12, uh, verses 4 through 6, he says this, For as in one body we have, all, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. How you serve the church might not be known to many. It might not get much acknowledgement at all, it might be behind the scenes, or, or even the way that you're serving an unbelieving friend outside of the, this building, right? Uh, it might be simply, you know, uh, your godly presence at your child's school or their baseball team. And, and, and that's the beauty of it, right, of, of the body. There are so many different parts, so many different strengths, working in so many different places, all for the good of God, all for the good of his kingdom. And that's a beautiful thing we, we want to see. It's a, you know, in passages like this, though, that, that the question often arises, and if if it doesn't, it's somehow we miss something, but there's this question of, if there is just one body, if there is just one church, then, then why are there so many denominations? Why so many independent churches? You know, even in the, the city of Manhattan, you think about it, you know, we've got Methodists and Lutheran. there's even three denominations of Presbyterians. If there's just one body, why, why is there so much division? And, and People have gone about two ways to answer this question. The one way is uh, one church claims to be the, the only true church, and everyone else is a bunch of unbelievers and outside uh, orthodoxy. And, and uh, that's not the way we view it. It's not a healthy way for anyone to view it. It's not a biblical way for anyone to view it. Uh, I will say this. Our, our view is that because of our sinfulness, because of the sinfulness in the world, uh, the oneness or the unity of the church today is, is never fully seen. Um, you know, our, our organizing denominations, our organizing local churches is of uh, incredible benefit to the, to the use of the church. Uh, but it's not a perfect view of the universal church. It's, it's not a perfect view, you know, that's, uh, of the church that's been made up of everyone who professes faith in Jesus Christ. And, and we just have to know that. The, the Westminster Confession actually speaks of this. Um, it refers to the, the universal church, and it, and it calls the universal church the invisible church. It's a word there, invisible church, because... Only God sees perfectly those who belong to the universal church. The invisible church includes those who have already died. I don't know if you think about that. You have brothers and sisters in Christ that are in the presence of Christ right now because they are no longer alive on the earth with us. And someday when Christ returns, we'll finally be unified as a, a, an absolute full body of Christ. The invisible church will absolutely become fully seeable, right? Uh, the visible church then... Not invisible, but the visible church then are all those who confess themselves to be sinners and who look to Jesus with faith as their Savior. And that's true in every era of the church. That's true of every nation of the world. That's true of every language being spoken on this, on this globe today. And so to the degree that we can work with those in other churches, we certainly should. 
And I admit, this is a lot easier to do in, in mercy ministries than it is in a lot of other contexts. Um, but God is glorified when his people function together as the one body that he has made us to be. And so, so we look to do so to the degree that we're able to. And uh, I'll say there's a group of, of pastors in, in town that I get together with, and, and we pray together. And we're praying for the work that God's doing in the city of Manhattan and, and Riley and on K-State and uh, basically all around the, the Kansas region. And, and, and it's a, a good time. There is, there is unity in this group and, and that everyone in the group trusts the Bible as, as the word of God. And everyone in the group recognizes that salvation is, is found through, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And yet beyond that, the differences are many. Uh, there are so many different theologies. Some of them make me really uncomfortable. Uh, and and so, so much diversity, you know. And in fact, some of these things that, that we wouldn't invite them to teach or to preach here. And, and yet, uh, we are able to get together and, and to pray together. And, and I love that. I love to hear their desire and for this community to see God save the lost. It's an encouraging thing to, de- to do, and so we'll continue to do so. Um, and, and that's the, the, the way it is, you know. We want to find ways that we can work with other believers, even outside of the congregation, uh, in, in the sense of the universal church. So um, let's, let's move on, though, here to that phrase, one spirit. See, just as our, our physical bodies have a spirit, uh, that is the soul that enlivens it, so the body of Christ, the church, has one spirit, the Holy Spirit, whose very presence brings about life. And the Holy Spirit is not a thing. I think we miss that a lot as Christians. The Holy Spirit is a person, personality. Uh, the Holy Spirit gives to every Christian those twin graces of, of faith and repentance. The Holy Spirit produces fruit in our lives. And, and so you might wonder, though, what's the point in him telling them this, right? That there's one Spirit. Why is that any news to this, this church? And um, you know, keep in mind, again, I, I keep telling you this, but it's a church made up of Jews and Gentiles, such different people. And he's going to be showing them here the, the unity they have in God. And if you remember in Acts 2-4, uh, Pentecost, the Jewish disciples of Jesus were gathered together uh, in Jerusalem, and, and the Holy Spirit came upon them, filled them, right? Uh, and, and so they were filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not until much later, Acts 19, that we learn in the faraway city of Ephesus, where Paul is writing to right now, that the Gentile Christians, uh, this is the first time we see it, that the Gentile Christians are filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and, and so there's this question almost that, the, that you can almost hear being asked in their congregation. So is the spirit that the Jews received a different spirit than the, than the spirit that the Gentiles received? And Paul's answer is absolutely no. Because there is only one Holy Spirit. And so the Jews were filled with the exact same spirit as the Gentiles. And if you're in, in Christ today, then you're filled with the exact same spirit that filled both of them. And, and it's the same of every Christian in every generation and every place on this earth today. The same spirit dwells in our fellow Christians and other nations, denominations, ethnic groups, and every other division you might come up with. Because there is just one spirit that applies the redemption of Christ to us. And that's, that's why, as Paul continues this passage, he says that statement, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One hope. Uh, at the core, we are all hoping for the same thing when we look to Christ. You know, in, in Scripture, we are reminded that as we partake in the Lord's Supper, you know, every single time we partake, that, uh, that we are looking to when Christ returns. That's a, a common hope that we have, right? And, and we know that, that, that Jesus, when he went to the cross, or he went to the cross because we were found guilty, right? 
And we know that when he went to the cross, what he does is, is he ensures that, that we will be judged righteous because he has paid the price for us. And, and so our hope is not that we escape death, but that we will rise with Christ because he defeated death on our behalf. And our hope then is an eternity with Jesus, primarily, and an eternity with each other as a secondary aspect of that, that we will dwell in the kingdom of God forever. See, our, our hope is eternal and sure, and there, is, there isn't a myriad of hopes, right? Just one. Your, your hope is in Christ, um, and mine is too, just like every other Christian has the same hope in Christ. And so Paul continues this, this statement. Uh, he sounds a little bit like Bono here, telling us that there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, uh, one Lord. He is speaking of Jesus Christ there, and it's teaching us that we have only one master in this life. Paul elaborates on this in uh, 1 Corinthians 8, 5 through 6, where he says, For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things and for whom we exist. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom, all, uh, whom are all things and through whom we exist. And uh, I recall uh, one of my children commenting a while ago, and I'm going to share this with you before, but they said they're really glad that there's just one God. And so I asked, okay, so why is that? Uh, and she said, well, I like having one God because lots of gods would all be telling you what to do, and that would just get confusing. Makes good sense, Right. Uh, she's absolutely right. I think as Christians, we often wrestle with the idea of, you know, what should we do in any given situation? What's the, the right thing to do here? And yet there's something absolutely freeing in our lives when, when we realize that there is just one Lord, one, one master of our life, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. The same Lord who tells us that his, his yoke is, is easy and that his burden is light. That's, that's our one Lord. So then when our passage then says there is one faith, we, we know this to mean that there is just one name by which we can profess with our mouths and believe with our hearts that for the forgiveness of sins. Faith in Jesus Christ is, is what we must, uh, must be unified around, right? Uh, Mark Dever, pastor in Washington, D.C., said this. He said, when, when Christians unite around something other than the gospel, they create a community that would likely exist even if God didn't. That's one of the things I, I love about the church. So we're unified around, around the gospel, around our, our Savior. We're unified around that, the, the oneness of that. And, and it means that you, know, you can be interested in a hundred different things. You know, the fact that we can be unified and have people in different political parties, uh, people that have such different views on a lot of things and yet unified around this one aspect that we know that our only hope for salvation is found in, in Christ. It's just uh, hugely encouraging. That's one of the things I love about the Apostles' Creed. I should have put it in there. It was a foolish mistake by myself, but uh, today we would have been nice if we had actually said it. But I find it hugely encouraging to confess the Apostles' Creed because you know that your Christian brothers and sisters from generations past behind you, right? If you've got believing grandparents and great-grandparents and so on, they were using those exact same words to profess their faith together. One faith. Um, and so that's, you know, the, the unity we have in the faith. Here in Manhattan, uh, like I mentioned before, there are many churches that hold very different views about baptism and 
uh, many different views on all kinds of theological things, how the Holy Spirit works today, um, you know, how God brings about salvation in the life of a sinner. And these are all very important things, very important. It's not to make them not so. Um, and, and yet we know that we can have fellowship with any who acknowledge the truth of the gospel, that faith in Jesus Christ alone is our only hope for salvation. And, and here's the other side of that, though. There are, there are churches or, or, or organizations in town that use the word church and, and yet have absolutely abandoned biblical Christianity. And, and the fact that we, we are unified around one faith means that there are some organizations who we cannot have true fellowship with simply because they have rejected the one faith that God calls us to. And, and the one faith that serves as a unifying truth within the church, and at the same time, it's a clear and certain encouragement towards evangelism for all of us, right, outside the church, because there is just one God who created the world, and that means there is just one Savior who can be, who can be a redeemer to the seven billion needy sinners on the earth today. That should encourage us to evangelize. See, I, I know that our, our culture today views the exclusivity of the gospel, that it's the only way to salvation. Uh, it is viewed as an insensitive and, and an arrogance and uh, an intolerance that, that Christians often hold. Um, you know, as, as John Piper once said, that, that, that Jesus is the only way for sinners to be saved is, is only intolerant in the sense that doctors are intolerant of poison and only tolerant of good medicine. I mean, that's, that's the gospel for us. If it's intolerant to proclaim the, this one hope for salvation, then by all means, that's an intolerance we need to embrace. Uh, moving on, when, when Paul mentions one baptism here, the, uh, the irony is that that almost causes him to want to explain baptism in a way that's actually going to create division. The, the question he has in mind, though, here isn't about uh, the water baptism or spiritual baptism. It isn't about the, the mode or, or the difference between a, a Presbyterian or a Baptist or a Catholic view of baptism. It's rather this idea that there is one baptism, one shared baptism. As uh, Paul asked in 1 Corinthians 1.13, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you or were you baptized into the name of Paul? His point is that we're all baptized into to one body, the body of Christ, the church. Uh, and then the last of these one statements here says that uh, there is one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Uh, Christians, we, we often refer to each other as brothers and, and sisters in Christ. This is the reason why uh, we have the same Heavenly Father. Uh, pretty simple. And that makes us actually siblings, spiritual siblings of each other. One of my favorite things about short-term mission trips is, is how this idea becomes so real in a way that sometimes we, we miss. You know, you, you go on these and you meet someone and they speak a different native language. Uh, they're often poor in comparison to us. You know, they'd look at our, our little house and think it was a mansion. Uh, they wear clothes that we would consider a costume more than normal clothes. And, and yet as you have this conversation either with them and, and broken uh, language or through a translator, you realize that their faith is, is your faith. You realize there is this absolutely unity here, that their hope is your hope, that we have the same Heavenly Father, that we're truly brothers and sisters united together in one body, despite all these very differences of our lives and our worlds. Anywhere around the world that we meet a fellow Christian, we, we have family. We have absolute forever family. 
And as this passage comes to an end, it tells us that God is over all and through all and in all. Over all and through all and in all. Uh, my dad coached my brother's soccer team. They were the, the War Eagles. Um, and, and when they had these games, I would, they'd play, and I'd just kind of wander off and find stuff. And on one occasion, I got back to the field just in time uh, to see our suburban full of a whole bunch of the players on the team driving off down this, this dirt road, and I began to run after them, uh, crying out, screaming, and when they got out of sight, I just fell on the ground and started crying. And, and the reason was I was all alone. I had no idea how to get to where they were. I had no idea. I didn't know my address, my phone number. I didn't know anything in the world except for they, like, my dad has just left me, gone. I eventually realized that I was missing, came back and found me crying. Um, but my point is that, that unlike that situation, we never, ever have to worry about being alone in this world. Never, never left behind by our Heavenly Father because God is omnipresent, which is just a big word that means God is everywhere at once. There is not a place on this earth or in this universe that you can be uh, away separated from our God. Now, I like to ask these, these passages, right? We come through them, we kind of come to the end of the text here, but what do we, what do, we do with this? And, and I'll tell you from a distance, this looks like a great passage to preach, and when I got up close, I was telling Laura yesterday, this is a hard passage to preach because its meaning is pretty self-explanatory by just reading it, uh, and its application's not real clear. Uh, you know, at the, at the heart of this, we have Paul telling us that um, you know, telling them what's true for us today. He's saying, listen, I, I know you in the church have a lot of differences. Those differences are very real, but in Christ, those differences are secondary. Um, secondary because just like our God is one, we now are one. And so we're looking to God as, as one, as, as the reason, right? We, we see the Trinity here. I told you at the beginning, we saw one Father, one Lord, one Spirit. It's a beautiful picture of the Trinity, and Paul is intentionally pushing us, pointing us that way. Uh, and so that we, 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 so what we need to know then is, is that at the very core of our being uh, is that we together are one body, and, and it's simply because of the fact that... Um, we can move to become, you know, basically this. We are one body. That's an absolute fact. But the way that we interact with each other, the way that we engage with other Christians, that is something that God can change us and, and, and work better uh, so that we can work together in a way that brings, that brings for the good of the body and for the glory of our head, who is Jesus Christ. Uh, I love this, this image. A.W. Tozer many years ago gave this great illustration. I don't know much about music, but I know this much, uh, and I love it. Uh, he says that we find unity with each other in the way that we seek the same Lord, Lord together, not by seeking after unity so much. And he says it this way. He says, has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? They're of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. So 100 worshipers meeting together, each one looking to Christ, are in their hearts nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. That's a beautiful picture of the church. You know, you and, and I and we and, and, and working, you know, all together seeking the Lord. 
willing to, to you know, and be willing to encourage and, and pray for and to work alongside, you know, any other Christians that God brings into our life who are also seeking the Lord uh, according to his word. It's, it's, it's not our job to create unity. We saw that last week. I hope you saw it again this week. But, but Jesus has done that for us. But it is our privilege then and a call on our lives to maintain that unity and to live according to it as we seek the Lord together and, and seek to see others do the same. And that, that can start today. You can start by, by praying for your brothers and sisters in Christ within this, this covenant community, within the, the wider places that God has, has placed you with people, who, uh, alongside people who are also looking to Jesus with faith, even if they have very different theological convictions. Uh, you know, look for ways to strengthen your relationships with others within this covenant community. Summer's here. Uh, I know... Schools locally haven't all gotten out, but summer's upon us, and that means that for, for many of us, it's a slower pace of life. I can't encourage you more to, to seek out relationships with each other, inviting uh, each other together to share meals or, or anything, uh, you know, anything you're out doing. I, I love, we have this, this page that people have been, been sharing, hey, I'm going to the, the water park or to the lake or whatever it might be. Um, I can tell you about that if you want to know about it later, but uh, take part in these things. Get together and enjoy the fellowship that God has given us. We, we are one body. Uh, let, us, let us seek to enjoy that, to, to foster the unity that the Lord Jesus Christ has, has secured for us in the gospel. Uh, let's pray.